Shalom. Welcome to chapter 1 of the book Alive for a Purpose. Chapter 1 is entitled Purpose Defined. And chapter 1 forms the foundation stage of defining what purpose is to fulfill it. In chapter 1, you find key definitions of what purpose is. I give you over 10 key definitions together with what others have said about purpose, which I believe can help you to shape your life. The purpose of chapter 1 is to help you to also understand God's original idea for creating you. Chapter 1 also will help you to move from a wishful kind of thinking to a more significant one. Chapter 1 also helps you to discover and rediscover God's reason for your creation and what you can do to make you effective in life. One key thing that I share in chapter 1 is about the two kinds of purpose that we all fall into. It's either you are operating in your primary purpose or you are operating in your secondary purpose. One of the definitions that I share in chapter 1 is purpose is the reason why you wake up every morning. You agree with me that we all wake up every morning but our purposes may be different. It's either you are fulfilling a primary assignment or you are fulfilling a secondary assignment or what I call a primary purpose and a secondary purpose. Chapter 1 helps you to understand that your primary purpose is what you are born to be. Your secondary purpose is what you are trained to be. My primary purpose is related to God's vision for my life. Your secondary purpose is related to your ambition for your life. There is a difference. My primary purpose influences and shapes lives before higher income. My secondary purpose focuses on higher income before influencing and shaping lives. My primary purpose ends in when I die. My secondary purpose ends in retirement. The one big problem going on in our generation right now is that a lot of people have made their secondary purpose their primary purpose and have made their primary purpose their secondary purpose. Incredibly, many people have been caught up in the activity trap. The busyness of life, the achieving victories that later comes to discover that all these are empty. When I drive to fulfill higher income, achieve a degree of competency and get more money does not come from our primary purpose which is related to the vision of God for your life. We are blinded therefore from the things that really matters and that we can be the most in life. Our lives are different when we really know what is deeply important. It is not enough to be busy. It is not enough to be efficient. You must move to be effective. And if you are to be effective, then you must pursue your primary purpose in life. Now, even though this book throws more light on purpose in general, the main focus of chapter 1 and the rest of this book is to help you to understand your primary purpose over your secondary purpose and how you can choose your primary purpose to become effective in life. i give you an example in this chapter of how Jesus had a secondary purpose and a primary purpose and we all have. There are things that we are born to be and there are things that we train ourselves to be. 
Jesus' primary purpose was to die and save us. His secondary purpose was to be a carpenter. So before he operated in his primary purpose, he was a carpenter. Abraham had. Noah had a primary purpose and he had a secondary purpose. Paul had. Paul was a degree holder. Paul had everything. But later, he had to fulfill his primary purpose in life. So chapter 1 throws more light on this primary purpose. And that is what is going to make a difference in your life. Carl and Stephen said that we must stop to reassess our priorities and our values. We must be willing to be ourselves, not what people want us to be. Because sometimes we think that that is the only way we can get love. We are at a point where if you truly want to live, you have to be who you are. I believe that God wants you to be what he has ordained you to be and what he has called you to be. And if you are to be that, then you must pursue your primary purpose in life. The question is, do we all need a primary purpose? Yes. The modern corporate man still needs a primary purpose. It is not enough to be busy. Even ants are busy. So what are you busy about? It's what chapter 1 focuses on. There are a lot to share in this in, in chapter 1 alone. But time and space won't give me the opportunity to share and open up some of these key things that I've shared with you. That's why I encourage you to get this book on your Kindle, paperback, wherever you are in the world, from Japan to France. Get it. Join us as we begin to share some of these things. God bless you and stay connected. I've always been sharing that the greatest story is your own story. Um, so I'm happy to be here to share my story to hopefully encourage somebody uh, and, and to empower somebody. I'm going to share probably eight key points of my testimony in my life and uh, hopefully it will be as a form of encouragement to you and whatever direction that you are going. I, when I was preparing, I said today I'm going to mention my full name. Many of you don't know my full name. I was born with the name Chief Kofi Ousu Amwate. Probably the few people I meet with Chief as part of their name. And when I was growing up, I asked my dad, why, why Chief is part of my name? And he said, the day you were born, a grandfather came to the room. He looked at you and said, this one is mine. So my granddad was a, was a, was a, was a, was a chief, or was a king um, from Ghana. So he was a chief from Ghana, or a chief in a sector of Ghana. And so I was given that name, and I was given his last name, which is Amwatin, and my father's name is Ousu. So I got all those names. I was born on a Friday in Ghana. When you are born, the day you are born, we add it to your name as a form of identification. So maybe you are a young lad or a young lass and you, you get missing. They believe that by mentioning your name, you could trace which part of the country you came from, which tribe you came from. 
And so at that time, probably they didn't have the police at that time. So you, somebody could just take you by hand and take you straight to your family house by just mentioning your name. So that's how I was given my name. I lived, when I was growing up, I lived in a compound house. Um, I found out that we were about probably 12 families living in a compound house. So I was very poor. Came from a background of very, very, very poor. In that house that I recall, 10, 12 families, we had over 50 people living in that compound. Uh, 30 of them were children. Uh, it's probably my age and various age. So we're all growing up in this house. We didn't even know we were poor until we started growing to school and found out that other, other families were well-to-do, more better than some of us come from a family of three. I've got two sisters, me being the oldest. Now, my story is that of pain. But I will share it so that when whatever you are going through, you appreciate God for whatever you're going through. At the age of eight, I lost my mom. I was eight. I recall my sisters were three years and probably one year, respectively, the last one. And um, the struggle began from there because I would say my mom was the breadwinner of the family. She used to do a government job. My dad was a driver in the government job where my dad, my mom was, and they got together. So she was every well to do. She died untimely. She had not planned to die at that age. I was looking around that probably my mom was around the age of 35, 36 when she died. Um, so most of the things that she had acquired really went to the family rather than going to us. And, and so when we were growing up at the age of 9, 10, uh, I was selling lollies on the streets um, of Ghana. In Ghana, I come from the second largest city uh, of the nation, which is Kumase. Those of you, how many of us have traveled to Ghana before? Nobody. I know there's a Ghanaian at the back there, my sister there. Um, and so in second largest city of Ghana is called Kumase. That's where I, I lived. In Kumasi, I lived in a, in, a, in, a, in a town or, you know, it's a city, but, you know, talking about this, it was a, it was a, a remote part of the city. Uh, I sold things like uh, lollies, uh, pies that we make here. I would carry it on my head to make ends meet so I could get school fees. Uh, soft drinks like Coke, Fanta, I used to sell it on the streets at the age of 12, 13. Um, I used to sell all these things. Uh, fast forward the third area, I'll make eight points, the third point. When I finished BECE, equivalent to GCSE, probably here, I was around 16, 17, 18, thereabouts, um, something happened. It was all pain throughout. Um, I really did well in, in my GCSEs, let me put it that way, equivalently. And, and with that, I could go to university. So I was excited. At least something good is coming out of the family. And so much joy. My dad was excited. I lived with my dad all throughout. Later on, he got married again, but did not have any kids. Only the three of us uh, from previous. That's my mom. So 
when this happened, we were all excited. And uh, my dad said, okay, get yourself free university uh, forms. Um, and at that time, I got two university forms and one polytechnic form. The two universities, most of you have heard, one was University of Science and Technology, which is in the city where I lived, and then there's one called University of Cape Coast, um, which is uh, a different city in, 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 the in the country, so you have to travel and go there. And then on the third one, I bought a one polytechnic in the city. Um, I was really, really confident. But then there is something that happens in Ghana uh, when they are making selections for university. They pick lecturers to select. Uh, but to help lecturers not to be influenced negatively, they allow every lecturer to bring one student that he wants to automatically have entrance. That student must buy forms, but that person, he can allow the person based on what he has to uh, enter into university so he doesn't go through that struggle. And so you also don't have to take people's money and, and, and put them in. So we had two different lecturers from the two universities my daddy um, got in connection with that were going to practically put me through any of the universities that I want. So the idea was all the universities pick you and then you decide what course you want to do. It was very, very exciting. And um, strangely, on the day that the first university was the University of Cape Coast were making a selection, that was the year 2000. And in the year 2000, there was a new government in Ghana. And the new government had appointed that lecturer who had my form uh, to an ambassadorial position. Out of joy of the morning, he closed, he put my file in his wardrobe, locked it, and flew out of the, out of the city. Uh, and so by the time my dad got there, the registration had finished. And because he took my form, my form need, really did not get into the general form where, we could be pick, where I could be picked generally. So I lost that university. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll look at um, University of Science and Technology in the city, at least it's still in the city. Um, he, on the day of registration, the morning, my dad talked to him. An hour after my dad talked to him, we got to know that the man's wife had an accident. And because of that, he had to be with the wife um, at the hospital. Also left the university, locked my form in the um, cubicle and, or in his, in his wardrobe or whatever, and left to go there. So again, by the time we got there, my name was not on the notice board, very good grace, but nothing has happened. And then my dad consoled me and said, all right, you go to, you go to Polytechnic for one year instead of staying at home. And then the following year, we'll try again. So I said, all right, um, we want to bring some joy in the, in, the, in the family. I'm happy. I'm excited. And we waited. We just bought the, uh, the Polytechnic one, put it through. And on the day when they had finished that you, you should get a letter that you have been admitted to the Polytechnic, I was going to do HND accounting. Uh, we waited and waited. We did not get any um, any letter to say that I've been accepted. So we rushed to the university. Uh, we rushed to the polytechnic, sorry. And then when we got to the polytechnic, 
there was a bit of argument. And they said, listen, everybody who has been accepted, their name is on a notice board. So if you did not get a letter, maybe a, a typing mistake, go to the forms because you have, you have passed. Everything shows you've passed. And I had my receipt to show I have bought forms. So when we went on the list, we looked through the whole school. We were looking at around probably 15,000 students. My name was not on. So it became an argument. And there was an argument back and forth between my, my father and um, probably a colleague and, and the university authorities. And so as a part of the argument, they, they just led us to show us the process, how they do things. And so things might not go wrong. And when we entered into a room, there was a table that had been pushed to the back side. And they said, this is where we normally, we, this is where we, everything happened. Lecturers see the pick, and your, your child was one of the best in the country, why not? Is not why is he not here? Then, so as we're arguing, somebody decided to pull the table back. He pulled the table back. There was one form that had fallen at the back of the table, and so it was a brown envelope, large one, A4 sheet envelope. I remember very well. Picked that envelope up, lifted it up, and you buy a form. You have you always use your um, your. Uh, your passport picture to put on the form. So your form and your passport picture, and it was my face on the passport picture. So out of a possible 15,000 students, I was the only person whose form went to the back then. It was around 18 years around that time. I, my dad, I couldn't stop crying. I was crying like a baby and shouted and saying, why is life so painful? I asked my dad, why is that it's always difficult for us? My mom have died at the age of eight. And all these things. Cops shouted and shouted and shouted. At that time, by God's grace, we had moved from a compound house at the age of 18, 19. My dad was able to build a four-bedroom house. Uh, that man, because of time, I will not be able to go into his story. Um, we had been able to build a four-bedroom house, so I have uh, first time probably have my own room, our own room in the house for myself, self-contained. And so I asked my dad to give me the house keys. I took the house keys, and whilst they were still in the university trying to figure out what to do next, because it was too late. Studies were lecturing were starting within a week, and so they can't put you through. The only thing they gave me was that you can come next year, you have automatic entrance. You won't be allowed to take uh, by forms again, but we'll enter you in the system. But at the moment, the system is closed and you can go in. So while the argument, I asked my dad to give me the house keys. Took the house keys and I took a, van, I took a bus uh, in the city and I went straight home. Let me tell you something that happened on the way. I lived in part, at that time I was living in part of the city that was very close, probably 15 minutes from a secondary school in the country. When I was coming, I remember when I was crying and coming to the house, I met three girls. One of the girls is my wife currently. And at that time, 18, she said hello to me, but I did not mind her. I remember the three girls saying, what kind of guy is this? when they passed by, but I was so much mad to myself. But I remember my wife was one of the girls at that time. She was around probably 16 then. So I bypassed them and I went, I went home. When I went home, I locked myself in my room. And I said that there is what, something my father used to do, wake me up every five o'clock in the morning to do Bible studies. Every five o'clock in the morning. 
in the midst of the pain to study the Bible, to memorize memories, memory verses. With, I, you was doing that, but I won't say I was a Christian, but you know, you live in a family, you have to do it. Do what daddy tells you to do. And that night, when I was 18, I said to God, if there is God, you have to explain to me why all this pain. I remember I was around 18. Why all this pain? I got home around 2 p.m. Remember very clearly. And I stayed home till my dad came home around probably 6 in the evening. They knocked on my door to come for her, to come have dinner. I said, I'm not going to have dinner that day. Nobody should worry me. And I was in the room. Whether I was praying, I don't know. But all that I know was that I was very, very angry. And I needed answers to what was happening in my life. I got naked at the age of at around 10 in the room, wearing practically nothing. Africa is very warm. As at 10 p.m., I was still praying, very warm, and I was crying and sweating throughout. They did whatever they could, could not break the door, and they all went to sleep, and they left me to myself. At around 12 midnight, somebody entered my room, and it was the Holy Spirit. He entered my room, I just fell on my floor, my knees. It's as if I became dumb. I could not talk again. But my heart and my mind and my spirit was talking. And, and he was talking to me and I was talking to him. I was around 18, 19. So what I know now is the Lord that entered into my room. We were talking and he explained to me everything that I was asking. At that time, he asked me to pick my Bible, which was on one of the beds somewhere. I picked it, and he said, open to Hebrews 2.18. And this is what was written there. First time seeing it. He said, since he himself have gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. And he told me that your life is going through testing and challenges is because you are going to help so many people to also overcome testing and challenges. I was around 18. I stopped crying. Gave me an explanation. And he said that the university that you had to go was not the form that was not part of the form that you bought. He said 12 months from now buy this university form and that should be the only form that you should buy and that's the University of Ghana is the premier university of the nation of Ghana buy that form that is the university I want you to go and he said don't trust man because in all the process you lifted yourself to man as you are growing up don't trust man too much and I had uh, an answer and, and that was it. The following day, I came out. My dad was like, what happened? I did not ask him any question again. I just told him I'm going to be working with you uh, because my dad was a petty trader. Uh, and so I'm going to be working with you for one year. And next year, I'll buy all of this form. He said, you don't want to buy all the forms? I said, I don't want to buy all the forms. A year from then, I bought that form only. University of Ghana, we did not need any help. 
and I was en enrolled in University of Ghana. You know, in all these things, I was open to my calling and my purpose in life, but I was not really connected. When I got into the university, the fifth point here, um, my first week in the university, my first week in the university with friends, about 12 friends, we got in contact. We were just sitting down having fun. We are one student. And a Korean man just approached us. He was a Korean missionary from Korea who had been posted to Ghana. And his mission was to mentor young people and raise missionaries to the world. He was a Korean. He came and he um, shared his vision with us and that he wanted to mentor us. And so out of the 12 friends, first week, we all sat around and he just began to share stuff with us. And he said, okay, I'll meet you. It was a Thursday. I'll meet you every Thursday, one to two, uh, if you guys will come around here. Um, the following week, we went. We were 12. It, we, we came down to 11. It continued. We came down to 10. We came down to 8. It continued until we came down to 1. And that one person was me. And I stayed with this guy for, his name is Moses Mock. God bless him wherever he is. Moses Mock mentored me for missionary work for four years whilst I was having a degree. I finished with a degree in psychology and sociology. But I believe that I got a missionary degree as part of uh, my going to that university as well. Things were still hard. It was not still easy. And all these things were happening. But like I said, I was not really connected um, to, to my calling. Uh, when I was in the third year, because of the difficulty, I realized that my dad was growing too quick. My dad was growing too quick. So I decided to uh, apply to travel out of the country and uh, work. And so I traveled. That was the first time I started coming to the UK. Um, came around 2006, thereabout. And so I used to come in here, work, go back, pay my school fees, give my father money. Thank God, my sister at the back, when I used to come here, I used to stay in a house where she was. My nana gave us a wave. You remember? She knows what I'm saying. So she used to have a house. When I come, I would be in the sitting room sleeping on the floor. She remembers it. That she used to be in that house too. That's when I got to know nana a long time ago. So I'll come in, work for three months when the semester was over, and when school reopens, I'll go back and use the money that I get here to pay for my school fees and make sure I give my dad some money to, to beef up the family business. Um, it continued until I finished school, and then I came in here in 2008. Um, I was here when my dad unfortunately also passed away at the age of 50. My dad was 50 when he passed away. So the pain continued. It took the death of my father to awaken me to walk in my purpose. It took the death of my father to awaken me to, uh, to walk in my purpose. After everything was done, I had a thin line between becoming an alcoholic or any other thing. Because I could not take it. I was still very young. I was in my early 20s. And that means my sisters were in their teenage years. My younger sister, I'm probably 8, 10 years old, older than the one who is following me. She was around 14. And the last one was around 11, 12, when even my father died. 
when your sister start calling you daddy, you see that to be a daddy is not an easy thing. Um, so I was in this thin line between becoming alcoholic or what do I do? There's no father, there's no mother, you don't come from a rich family, nobody really can do much to support you. Um, one night, I went on my knees in Bradford, BD7, Tertilly Street Lane, the address I remember very clearly. And I prayed again. I said, God, if you will be faithful to me, I will save you all of my life. But then I'm doing this in exchange for my family, my sisters, especially. So me and God established a covenant that night. But all that was shaping me for my calling. The eighth thing led me to service. I served for 10 good years on this soil in other people's ministries because of my encounter with God and my commitment to Him and my covenant with Him. So I kept seven. I kept seven. I kept seven. I went to Bible school in this 10 years period. I was ordained in this 10 years period. And I kept seven for over 10 years. Until the Lord, four, four and a half years ago, led us into new joy. And new joy started about four years ago. Has God been faithful? My younger sister, who is next to me, has just graduated with a master's in business administration. She's got a degree, and she's got her master's in business administration. The younger one, who was around 11, has just finished a, has finished a degree about a year, two years ago, and she just finished with a, a deg, uh, another another program in air hostess, and she's just got a job on an airline that is going to start her to pilot as well. God has been faithful. Hey, this is my story. But God has been very, very faithful. So if you see me doing purpose achieving life, it goes all the way back from what the Lord has. Let me give a summary before I sit down. A summary of my story so far, and I believe that the picture is there. Now I'm married with three beautiful children. Sorry, my wife is not here. There is another assignment somewhere that she has to be. So she sends her apologies. Married with three beautiful children. And the blessings are keeping becoming more and more and more and more and more. God has a plan for you. No matter your story, don't give up. Don't give in. One day, in the midst of taking that decision to serve God, God kept, me, kept, God kept showing me a, a young man in the heart of Bradford who was always drunk. Anytime I want to go close to this guy, he was too drunk to talk to. And I did not know why, and I don't understand why that particular person was, was so much of an interest to me. One day in the city of Bradford, city center, where the uh, fountain is currently, it used not to be a fountain. Um, I met this guy and he was sober and he walked to me and asked me for money 
and I could tell everybody around could hear me because I was so passionate with this guy that we were just conversing that everybody could hear us. So I asked him, why is he wasting his life away? And he said to me, he began to cry, and he said to me that my mom died. His story was simply like my story. And my, fa my father died and all these things, and I could not bear it, so I took to alcohol. Then the Lord reminded me that the reason why this guy is interesting is because your life could have been like him. So I helped as much as I can to rehabilitate this guy, um, just did our best until he was able to be okay, and then he moved to another city, and I know that by God's grace he's doing well there. God has a plan for you, a plan for you. Your pain, your challenges, your suffering are some of the ways God uses to walk you into purpose. Many of us, when we are alive, go through challenges and pain, we give up and we give in. What I've learned in my story is that in life, you are either shaped by pleasure or you are either shaped by pain. Thank God that you were probably born here, you can drink milk, you can have fish and chips and all of that. Thank God for that pleasure. I pray that it will lead you into your purpose in life. But unfortunately, maybe you are also like me, you have gone through pain You've seen difficulties, you've lost parents or you've lost um, uh, very important people in your life. It's very painful. But God can still use that pain to walk you into purpose. If I see what the Lord is doing in my life today, I will not change any part of my story. Because that is what makes me who I am. And that is what directs me and keeps guiding me and giving me the passion and the drive to continue to help many people to stand and not give up and to move forward. And that has become my vision. That has become my purpose. And this has become my life that will be able to empower people to do what? To hold on to whatever it is so that you will get to the promised land. And also one day stand somewhere and share your story. Because your story is the greatest uh, and most powerful thing in your life. Thank you very much.